The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so can everybody hear out there? So welcome. Um, Just want to reassure you that you are in the right place at the right time because none of us look like Gil. So um, he did phone earlier today and asked us to sub for him. Um, He's a little overworked, and he said he would much rather um, felt it was better for him to be at home tonight. So... So hopefully you're not too disappointed. If you are, if you learn, have by now, five weeks later, have learned to sit with that, and hopefully that will change <laughs> relatively soon. <laughs> so, um, so we'll start the same way that he usually does with some Q&A while we let other people come in. Um, but I want to introduce myself. So my name is Shen Kwan, and I've been, um, I guess, coming here for seven or eight years, and... Um, uh, just recently finished a, a training program through Spirit Rock, and I've been uh, kind of training to teach with Gil as my mentor for the past few years. So um, to my left and right are my good friends and colleagues at, who I've been teaching with here. And this is Diana, and this is Kim. I don't know if you guys want to say anything briefly. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, Okay. So my name is Kim. Yeah. Okay, so, and I know actually a couple of you in this room, which is kind of cool. I've been a student of Gill's for about 10 years and have also been starting to teach over the last few years and lead a group in Los Gatos in addition to teaching here. And many of you will recognize me from sitting up here, being the manager, helping with handouts and things like this. And um, I've been coming to IMC for maybe seven years or so, and I do a lot of things kind of behind the scenes to help make this place um, run. And I have to say, it makes me so happy every time we do this introduction to meditation class. It's a, um, it made a big difference in my life, and it makes me happy to think that perhaps it'll make a difference in your life, too. Great. Um, so um, I have not been here for the last four weeks, but I've taught this course twice before here. So um, if you guys have questions in the very beginning about anyth- about your practices or anything that's coming up, then yes. And can you wait for the mic so that it can be recorded? We can hear you. Hello. Um, we've gone over mindfulness of emotions and mindfulness of thoughts last week. And I was thinking uh, as I was driving home, I wonder where intuition fits into that. You know, that w- you have any thoughts about intuition or gut instincts? I mean, I've always taught my daughter to trust her intuition. And some of the things we've been discussing in here in terms of thoughts are, um, you know, don't always trust your thoughts or anyway I, I just wonder where intuition fits into this hmm. um, so um, I'm not really sure what everybody's going to uh, def- how they're going to define intuition so that might be hard to, to answer um, but I guess part of the teaching is um, not to um, 
get caught in either your emotions or thoughts or anything else that's coming, coming up. So, um, and not to push it away either, but to pay closer attention or to listen more deeply to what's going on. So I'm not sure if that might qualify for intuition instead of um, looking for external ways to solve problems or trying to push something down or away or ignore it or deny it. We are taking a, a, a deeper look, a broader look, a less entangled look at what's happening. So I'm not sure I would use the word intuitive, but there is a different skill that might come up with that practice. So, um, however you choose to define that, I guess. <laughs> but It's hard to define, but I yeah. have told my daughter, you know, if you have a, an intuitive feeling about a situation or person that you're with, to trust it. Mm. Well, so to my left, I have a... Um, um, biologist <laughs> so she might actually have something to say about more more about that actually putting aside my biologist training but, um, I was struck that you said that you have a gut feeling so for me kind of um, intuition is sometimes like a sensation in the body and so that's one way to work with it just like another sensation in the body or with a thought maybe it could be a sensation in the mind or an image or a type of knowing in the same way that thoughts can be an image or a type of knowing so in whichever way you experience intuition I think you could um, work with it how you would with a bodily sensation or a thought or something like that Anything to add? Okay. Any other questions? There's one. Uh, can you pass the mic forward? Great. Thank you. So I've, I've noticed as I've continued practicing that um, uh, the sort of focus of my awareness is getting more, how should I say, more more precise or more minute, like... I was practicing last night, for instance, and I noticed that I, I could tell where the vents in the room were because I could sort of perceive a very soft uh, <clears throat> motion of the air in the room on my skin, whereas sort of when I started practicing, it was just like, yep, my chest is moving up, and now it's moving down. Mm-hmm. And then it became sort of an introspective thing where I was like, hmm, can I, can I tell that I didn't shave today based on the way my skin feels? Can I tell, like, and I, I sort of found myself almost challenging myself to see how, how much I could perceive just based on the sensation. And that was an interesting exercise, but afterwards I found myself wondering, um, am I overanalyzing things? Am I starting to think about it rather than simply perceive it? And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Um, well, the fact that you caught yourself probably thinking about it <laughs> probably answers your own question. We, our minds tend to do that. We're, we're analytical. We're, we want to seek meaning. We're curious beings. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But when you see yourself like really veer off on a tangent and lose presence in what's actually happening, that's a great opportunity to come back. Um, it is pretty fascinating. The more subtle our practice, the more things that we notice that we never noticed before. So that's actually pretty um, interesting. Um, I would say that the, 
it's almost enough to be to not have to do so much in terms of searching for all these things. The more we sit and the like that just that the fact that the vent became more audible or you happened because you weren't trying to make that happen, but just because something happened with settling. So the more we kind of let that happen, what needs to unfold would unfold. So I would would just say that. Hopefully that's helpful. Anything to add? Any other questions? Yes? I'm trying to rely on my breathing as much as I can, not during meditation, but during just daily activity, just during daily like activities. Because I, I when I do that, I I can sense some ease in whatever I'm doing, when I'm, whenever whatever I'm doing. But there are moments like when I'm making a presentation, public speaking, right? I know, like I am aware that I become in the I I go in the panic mode. I can't feel my breathing at all, and I know I'm in trouble, but I just can't help me out of that thing. I don't know if it will, I will become more, have more control over myself when I practice more. Is that the case? I'm just wondering how I can, it almost feels like I'm physically not capable of like being mindful during that moment and asking me, pulling myself out of that bad state. Um, um, I, I'm not sure. I can't promise you <laughs> that you'll get, you know, all your panic will go away the next time you have to go up and uh, do some, you know, public speaking. But um, the fact that you notice just noticing your breath doing daily activities, that you can bring ease to whatever's going on, that to me shows that there's some level of practice that's been established. Whether, you know, whether you, it's pleasant or unpleasant, challenging or not challenging, you didn't mention, but you said whatever's going on. So um, I would say that that's probably, um, if, you, if you just see that for what it is, rather than try and make it go away when you're panicking, there's a very diff- like subtle switch in approach to what's going on. Um, can you be okay at some level with what's going on, even if it's panic? And that's, you know, it may take some time, it may take some practice, it may take some fine-tuning and figuring out how that works for you, but that's kind of what we're practicing. Uh, So um, applying to daily life, all daily life practices as well. So um, maybe this is a good segue into trying to incorporate everything that we've been, I guess, that you guys have been um, practicing for the last four or five weeks with uh, mindfulness of breath and body and thoughts and emotions. Um, It can seem like quite a lot of instructions or uh, prescriptions or things of of how to be when something happens. So uh, rather than take it as what you have to do, we try and frame it so that they're describing certain states, they're describing certain events, and they're describing ways that you can possibly be as things are happening. So for instance, you know, when you hit panic, I hit panic mode every time I had to come up here and speak, so I understand that well. Uh, And it took quite some time for me to learn how to be okay with the panic so I'm not sure exactly if I remember what happened, but um, I'd say practice helped me a great deal because 
before I would understand that I could actually sit with panic and actually sit here and still speak uh, was that panic would really suck me in and take me away. Um, like you say, I don't know where to, where to get in. But um, there was something key was that I realized I was trying to make it go away or I didn't like it or it really bothered me. And when there's this uh, kind of practice that just being there for it and kind of watching it or, or seeing it in a different way, uh, I felt a shift. So, um, so this will take us into maybe um, how we apply mindfulness of all these things that are happening. Um, Gil uses this metaphor, and I guess I'll use it because I have not come up with a better one, of what it's like to be a human being. is like living in a, a house with, is it four windows and a door? <laughs> five, windows and a, five windows and a door. So all the senses, uh, what you see, hear, smell, touch, and um, the door being the doorway of perception. So um, we're offered this kind of uh, metaphor is to see if we can sit back in an easy chair and um, as things come through the windows or walk past the windows, whether it's, you know, a, you know he's the, a, a squirrel or a bird or a deer or something, can we be present for um, everything that's happening without getting up and going out the door or through the window and engaging with it in the same ways that we're used to doing. So, you know, with our thoughts and emotions, we're usually somehow entangled with or we get involved with. uh, And with this practice, we're learning how to be there for things as they happen with a little bit less entanglement. So does that make sense on some level? Okay, great. Um, yes. Um, it's just for the recording. It is, it's helpful if it's. Okay, fine. I'm going to ask uh, to say it as a comment, but I would like to have your feedback on that. It's related to the same thing she said about the panic. Then uh, if we do whatever method of meditation we use, if we do that meditation without any expectation and purify the content of mind, then does that, then after a while, when we do practice and practice of that meditation and purify the mind and remove all those sufferings which, which are in the quantum mind, then uh, doesn't that mean that uh, there's not going to be any more panic later on? Hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I still feel panic <laughs> from time to time, but it doesn't impact me the same way. Um, it's... Uh, and even if it's there, it's not as big a deal. So I've learned different ways to be with it. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm not going to really comment on the purification process that happens. Uh, not sure uh, if I can really. But I found it useful what you said about um, it's helpful if we don't have expectations. 
um, a lot of what we're doing is saying, we just do these simple practices and see what happens. Rather than, and it's very hard, we will have expectations, but every time we notice them, maybe we can do something to kind of let them go or bring ourselves back to the present moment rather than what we want to happen. Does that make sense? My, my own practice is fairly modest, but I, I, I think the piece that I've found is, is, is uh, been helpful is, is a kind of resilience where uh, the episodes that, that used to affect me uh, and agitate me a lot, I, I'm, I, they still agitate me, but I, I, I don't feel so upset about being agitated. Great, great. That's the piece that we, <laughs> we, we do work on two different pieces, so this is true. So maybe it'll become clear as we do the exercise. So, so now well, we are going to meditate for 20 minutes, so, um, and we're going to use that metaphor of sitting <laughs> um, in the house in our easy chair. But uh, rather than really sit back as we sit back in an easy chair, uh, really take a few moments to settle and find a really a comfortable posture, but that one that's alert and one that's supportive. Because um, sometimes when we bring a little energy to the practice, it actually helps support the sit. It helps the meditation, gives us a little more energy to work with. So... Finding your comfortable seat. And in the beginning, taking a few deep breaths and just arriving here. Seeing if we can relax a little bit at each exhale. And taking some time to feel uh, what it's like to sit here in the body. You can move around a little bit if you need to find that comfortable place. Allowing the attention and the awareness to settle. On simply breathing in and out. And if you find any areas of tension, sometimes you might carry tension around the eyes or forehead, seeing if that can relax a little bit. If there's any tension held in the jaw or shoulders, Seeing if you can relax that with each exhale.
and allowing your stomach to just relax and hang out. We're collecting ourselves, bringing our minds to the present moment. Simply being here in this body, breathing. Seeing if you can hang in there with each breath. Bringing the mind, wherever it may be, back to the body and the breathing. And now, opening up 
if there's anything that's compelling or drawing for your attention, seeing if you can take that seat in that easy chair and just let it be there, watch it arise and pass away. Whether it's a physical sensation or a thought or a feeling. So staying in our seat and just being there as things arise seeing if we can not go to the window or the door and just sit back let it be there If there's some level of discomfort or disease, seeing if we can fold that in to the experience. If there's any place of ease, Mindfully breathing in and out.
and just sitting back. and watching for the next compelling experience.
So the idea is, as we practice this type of meditation, we become more present for our lives. And hopefully they become, they unfold in a richer, uh, less, with less suffering, uh, um, more fuller way. So um, this, this type of meditation that um, I was describing, this is called choiceless awareness, is we're not really actually choosing to focus so much on one thing or make something happen, is we're establishing some stability of mind and being very present for whatever does happen. Can we be there for it? And can we be there for it in a way that's a little bit different than the usual way of um, our wanting to engage um, and entangle ourselves with? So uh, hopefully that makes some sense for you. I think most of us want um, healthier, happier, fuller lives that have less suffering um, in it. And I have to say that even though it was very new to me to practice this way um, and eye-opening to know that there was a different way to engage with thinking and emotions and um, actually anything that was happening in my life. Um, um, It was quite beautiful how that unfolded and how uh, surprising it was that presence uh, uh, wasn't uh, as... Scary as I thought it would be. <laughs> I guess I thought presence, being really deeply present for the difficult things, was pretty scary and daunting. Um, and even being present for the, the beautiful things and jo- joyful things, I found, could feel quite different than what I had expected. So um, once we practice this, uh, being present for and less entangled with what's going on in our lives... Uh, then, um, uh, then we move towards, um, I guess, how mindfulness looks in our daily life, and then maybe what concentration, um, uh, deeper concentration practices, coupled with mindfulness, might look like for us, and um, how that unfolds. So, um, well, I gave you the metaphor for being an easy chair, which might be helpful for uh, doing a formal sitting practice, um, it might feel a little bit passive, so how to apply this mindfulness practice to daily life. So um, there are different ways that we can um, apply what we're learning in our sitting practice and what that might look like, look like uh, for our daily life practice. So um, Diana is going to talk a little bit about um, how that might unfold. So, do you want this? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. So just as Shin Kwan was saying, that part of the reason why we practice mindfulness is to bring a little more ease and some more clarity to our lives. And we can do this by sitting on a cushion and meditating, just as we did. But we can also do this by bringing more mindfulness into our time off the cushion, kind of that expression, right, when we're not formally meditating that we can bring a sense of presence to what's happening no matter what we're doing, whether we're sitting in some specific posture with our eyes closed 
or whether we're driving to work in the morning. And Andrea Fella, who is um, one of the teachers here, she um, really does an emphasis and teaches it a few times a year, similar to what we've done here with mindfulness. She does mindfulness in daily life. So how to apply this type of practice, not just in a meditative posture, not just um, with one's eyes closed. So when she teaches, um, and I've taken this course with her a few times, and I found it really, really enriching, is um, she offers two different ways to approach this. She encourages people to, for one week, to choose two things, two activities that are normal things that you do. One that you do for a short time repeatedly throughout the day, and then one that you do maybe a little bit longer once a day. Here's some examples. So one thing that you um, do repeatedly throughout the day perhaps is um, reach your hand to open a door. This is a simple thing. We do this all the time. And you can set the intention, I'm going to be mindful. How does this feel in my body? What thoughts am I having? What um, does... Am I leaning forward? Am I leaning backward? Am I in a hurry? Do I always lift with my right hand? Do I always go through the door that's on the right or on the left? Do I habitually push or do I pull? Or do I have a preference for these types of doorknobs or these other types of doorknobs? This type of thing takes no extra time, right? This is something that we do throughout the day. But somehow bringing our mind back to the present moment, this mundane, simple thing that we do repeatedly somehow brings a little more peace, a little more clarity. It it, um, brings our mind away from the busyness and perhaps the worry about the future, the planning about the future, the reliving a conversation we had earlier that we wish had gone differently or the kind of restlessness and worry for that moment when you are perfectly mindful, as best as you can, when you're reaching for the door, at that moment, you're not caught up in the busyness. You're not worrying. You're not planning. You're not fantasizing. So these little moments add up throughout the day. So you can set the intention to do something very simple like this, reaching for a doorknob, walking through a doorway, We walk through doorways a lot, many of us, through our days. Or standing up. Some of us, just um, the way our lives are, our jobs are, our work, the way that we are at home, we stand up and sit down repeatedly throughout the day. So you can set the intention, I'm going to be mindful when I stand up. What kind of thoughts are going through my mind before I stand up? Am I just trying to get away from whatever I'm doing here at my desk? or from the table, or from the dishes, the counter, the laundry machine, whatever it is? Or are we um, really intending, are we really noticing when we are about ready to stand up? So how this works is that you make the intention early in the day, and then you will forget about it. This is just the way it is, right? We're all human. We're not going to remember everything exactly. And it may be at the end of the day, before you go to sleep, you'll be like, Oh, that's right. I was supposed to pay attention every time I was reaching for a doorknob, walking through a doorway. But then remembering that time later in the day, 
the next day when you set the intention again in the morning, you'll remember just a little bit more that second time, most likely. And then the third day, just a little bit more. And then the fourth day. So there'll be just these little bit of moments of kind of mindfulness training throughout the day. Here are some other examples of things you can do that are take um, are repeated throughout the day. When the phone rings, you don't have to answer it on the very first ring. There's no law that this has to be the case, right? When the phone rings, you can use this as a mindfulness bell. You can feet, fill your feet on the floor. Maybe take a breath. Just get grounded. Maybe put a little smile on your face if that feels okay, not if it feels forced. And then when you answer the phone, you'll be more present for what the other person is about to say to you. And then maybe that conversation will be a little bit um, more fruitful or maybe you'll remember the contents of it better or the other person will feel touched because they can tell that you're really present for them. And maybe you'll have a different type of a conversation instead of um, just feeling harried or distracted or disturbed by the phone call, you can, when the phone rings, just take a moment, take a breath, feel your feet on the ground. If you're sitting, your seat on your chair, and then answer the phone. So something that um, we can do maybe once a day that takes a little bit longer could be something as simple as brushing our teeth in the morning. Right, this takes a little bit longer than just reaching a doorknob or answering the phone. But you can set the intention, okay, for this short amount of time, I'm going to pay attention to all the sensations, the sounds, the thoughts that I have, the taste in my mouth while I'm brushing my teeth. I used to be one of those people that would rush around in the morning. Oh my gosh, I'm running late. I better go take this. Oh, I can't, I can't remember to do this. Or wait, can't forget to do that. And I used to be one of those people. I still am sometimes. But when I set this intention that I was going to pay attention to brush my teeth, it turned out to be really great. I had one of those um, electric toothbrushes. And I never really paid attention to how it felt. It's kind of fun. I felt like, wow. And I never really paid attention to how the toothpaste tastes. And I have different toothpaste. And just like taste. Oh, this one tastes different compared to the other one. This is not profound, right? This is very simple things of where there's a little bit of ease and clarity. Those moments. And you're training your mind to your setting intention. I'm going to bring my mind to this, these sets of sensations at this moment. Just like when you're meditating, you're going to set your intention to follow the breath. You're just following the sensations while you're brushing your teeth. It's the same activity, right? We only have one mind. We're only one person. So it's the same mind that's meditating, that's paying attention to brushing the teeth. Something else you could do is while washing the dishes. I am one of those people that don't feel so bad when my dishes are in the sink. So, But I thought, okay, I'm going to wash the dishes now regularly after every meal. And instead of waiting until the end of the day like I'm apt to do. And the water, I really never noticed how nice the water is or how much I disliked the scent of this particular dish soap, right? Not everything's perfect and lovely. I don't want to give you the wrong um, idea, but it was a very different experience. Dishwashing turned no longer into this 
silly thing that I have to do all the time over and over into an experience that I can kind of train the mind and really notice um, water, warm, how warm water feels and how nice it feels actually to have my sink without dirty dishes in it. And here's another um, example I will give that takes longer and something that I will encourage you also to be mindful with is driving. This is something many of us do. Not all of us do all the time. Some of us use public transportation. But even if you're sitting on the bus or waiting for the train, you can do this too. Driving, you can turn off the radio and not talk on the phone and just notice what's happening outside the windows. How does the steering wheel feel in your hand? Are you driving fast, therefore you're really gripping the steering wheel or you're irritated with that person who's driving too slow in front of you or who cut you off or something? And just how does that feel to be that sensation in your stomach when you're irritated? It's really amazing what happens when a beautiful car that you've been thinking you would love to have someday drives by you. You can notice what kind of thoughts are in your mind when that happens. Or maybe a car drives by that reminds you of some really nice experience you had. What kind of thoughts do you have then? So these are just ways that you can bring your mindfulness practice off the cushion, so to speak. Things, small things that you do repeatedly throughout the day, walking through doorways, reaching for doorknobs, standing up. I'm sure there's some more that you can think of. I know some people that have put post-it notes in their kitchen, you know, be mindful. And so whenever they saw those little purple post-it notes as a um, reminder. Or things that take a little bit longer duration, driving, brushing your teeth, doing the dishes. I'm sure you can think of other things, maybe particular things with your job or your daily life. And in this way, we can bring more clarity and more ease to our life. And then we could feel a bit more connected to what's happening. Instead of always racing through our lives, trying to get to the next thing so we can finish it, we can experience them. We can be present for them, even the simple, mundane things. And we can maybe um, lessen some of the thinking that happens with... um, with the planning and the worrying, just a little kind of respite from some of that. So this is one way that um, mindfulness can be integrated into your life, um, other than just meditation. Now Kim can talk about how we can take mindfulness into concentration. Is that better? Is that audible? Okay. Great. So, uh, Shinquan mentioned that there are kind of two different developments that can happen in your practice, and they're not mutually exclusive. So, Diana talked about the daily life practice, which is a great way to bring more and more mindfulness into your life. And then another direction or um, intention that one can have is to develop more of a concentration practice or a concentrated mind. And I want to stop right there and explain a little bit about that word because the word concentration is something that you'll hear frequently in 
meditation circles and in meditation books and we can bring in sometimes ideas about what this word means and so um, I want to be careful often people think of concentration as this kind of laser-like focus on something I'm really bearing down and putting a lot of effort and strain into being concentrated and that's really not what's intended with the word so maybe it's an unfortunate translation choice there are um, other words that are probably evoke better um, association so for example uh, collectedness or integrated an integrated mind Um, composure is also a nice one so these are moving toward a different idea And, and let's describe a little bit what you know, what this kind of mind is that we can develop. Mindfulness naturally leads towards more concentration or collectedness when we tend to point our mind toward one object or experience in some way. And that's, again, not bearing down on it. But, for example, in the very first week that you were here, you learned about sitting and paying attention to your breath. So there's the breath, (laughs) that's the object. And it's a changing object, it's not, there's just this one thing. But you probably noticed that your mind, when you had the idea that you were going to be with your breath, that you noticed that your mind wasn't completely there for the whole sitting, right? It's going in many different directions, there are thoughts, there are feelings, there are other things happening. And so... Concentration is to begin to gather together all those parts of your mind that are going in different directions and kind of bring them slowly, perhaps, <laughs> toward this, this object. For example, the breath. So that means that as you're sitting there, your intention is to be with the breath. Your body, um, you're maybe feeling the breath in your physical body. You may be having some kind of thoughts, but you can use those thoughts to, for example, label. You learn the noting practice to label the thoughts in breath, out breath, or expansion, contraction, or more subtly feelings of tingling or movement. You're bringing your thinking mind also kind of to gather it around this breath. So this is an example of how to develop concentration on the cushion is to bring the different components of the mind. You can even bring your emotions in. How do you feel about your breath? You know, what is what is happening emotionally and how is that affecting the breath? Also, we had a question earlier pointing out that during periods of panic, it's not easy to feel the breath at all. Well, that's information about how emotions relate to the breath. So... This is an example of a mind that is beginning to be collected and integrated around a particular kind of experience. So this is something that we can develop in sitting practice, whether we choose our breath, whether we choose our body sensations. There are various objects that can be chosen. But it's nice to help beginning to gather the mind around particular experiences. Why? There are many things that come from a a mind that's a little bit more collected. The first relates to something that Diana said about becoming more connected. 
So just like in daily life practice, when you're uh, keeping your mind in the present moment, no matter what various types of activities you're doing, if one brings the mind to organize around some central kind of experience, such as the breath, you feel more connected to that moment, to that experience, to your life that's happening. It's like having a focal point that helps to see all the areas that the mind is going into. You may not even be aware where your mind is going. A lot of people think all day and they have no idea what they were thinking about. They're not even aware that they're thinking. And then they come to the end of the day and who knows. But with an intention to be with a certain experience or to notice one's thoughts, something, one can begin to have that reference point, that focal point that helps us see where the mind is going. And this practice is all about learning about our minds. You don't necessarily have to achieve particular things, be certain things, have certain experiences. It's to understand how this mind and body work. And which brings us to another benefit of concentration or a collected mind, the ability to see clearly. So a mind that's going in a lot of different directions, very difficult to see all of that. It's like being on a ship that's um, jostling in the waves. It's very hard then to notice uh, what other things are moving around. But if you're standing on dry land, suddenly it's very clear, the motions of your mind, the motions of your body, because you're anchored, you have a solid point that you're standing on. Gill gives the analogy of a camera. Um, You want to take a picture, but you're moving all over the place, the picture's not going to be very clear. But if you have a solid tripod and you put the camera on it, then you can take the picture and you're going to see very clearly. So imagine that your mind and your body are moving all over the place because you're unfocused, you've been rushing around, you've not been being mindful. Then you can't really see what experience you're having. You may not realize that you're angry until you snap at someone. You may not realize that you're exhausted. Your body's really tired until you get home and you fall asleep while you're talking to your partner. <laughs> you know, so it's um, having this uh, much greater sense of self-awareness and ability to see what's happening in our minds and bodies comes from developing a focus of mind. That sounds great. How do I do that? <laughs> so... Um, It's something that develops gradually over time. And fortunately, the absolutely clearest, best way to help focus the mind is something that everybody can do, which is to just keep at it. Uh, Regularity of practice is what brings stability of mind. So sitting, having a regular sitting practice, Even if you do five minutes, if you do five minutes every day for a number of weeks, that has an effect. Um, And even if you miss a couple days within all of that, don't berate yourself. But it's that regularity, that continuity over time that really will establish the ability for the mind to stay present and to have that clarity. Another way to develop clarity is to 
do it a little bit more, you know, a little bit more of a continual or focused way. And so that would be, for example, going on a retreat. And now don't be scared by the word retreat. Um, it's not, first of all, it's not retreating. <laughs> You're not backing away from anything. Um, and also it can be as much as just a, a little bit more focused time of practice. A half a day, for example, uh, every Wednesday morning here, there's a half-day retreat from 9.30 to 12.15. Now, of course, if you work, that may not be possible, but fortunately, there are also one-day sittings on Saturdays about once a month here at IMC. Uh, the next one, I believe, is on November 16th. Um, that one will not have instruction, by the way, but you've all been through the introductory course, so it should be okay. Um, and some of them, some of the day-longs also have guided instruction throughout the day. And so it can be very nice to come and just have that continuity where you decide to devote four hours or eight hours to sitting. And don't worry, there's walking practice in there also. You don't have to sit that whole time. But you might be very surprised at uh, how much more you can see by just having a little bit longer time to devote to it, just carving out a little piece of your day. I remember the first time I came on a day-long retreat. I thought, ooh, a whole day of meditation. I mean, I'd only just been doing whatever on my cushion at home. And it was sort of a big deal. It felt like I was, you know, when I got in my car and I I came here, this is where I had sat my first day-long, I almost felt like I was kind of going into a special place to be all day, you know, and it was, it um, felt kind of ritualistic almost, and I don't want to make too big a deal out of it. It was actually far easier than I thought. I was a little worried about what might happen if I tried to do that. And it was fascinating to, you know, to really uh, devote myself to being as mindful as I could. Of course, my mind wandered, and I had thoughts, and all sorts of things. My body got tired by the end of the day, but I had set this intention to be there for it, and it really felt like I was connected to myself in a new way at the end of the day. felt like I knew a little bit more about my patterns. I felt like I had stuck with something that I had intended, so there was that kind of good feeling. And there was this clarity. I remember actually walking out of the building and feeling literally like I could see the colors more sharply. It's like that sort of crispness to the way things looked. You know, and it didn't last for days and days, but I knew that it was related to deliberately clearing away um, through the practice of mindfulness some of those distractions that I otherwise would have been doing all day. So that can be a nice way if you have uh, the ability in your schedule. In addition, um, some people do longer retreats than that. There are residential retreats um, that go for more than one day. And you stay overnight and you get up in the morning and do the same thing for a weekend or a week, a month. <laughs> so if you're really, really new to meditation, um, this may not be appealing. Um, and you don't have to leap right in at If you're an achiever type, you don't have to start feeling like, okay, I'm going to start logging how many hours and I have to check off the one-day retreat within the next month or I haven't really succeeded. I hope you won't think that way. It's, It's much more something that 
we put there, we put out there so you know it exists. It plants a seed maybe. And when you feel that it's the right time um, and you feel like this would be beneficial, it's there for you. And there will be other, a lot of other people here doing it at the same time, so you'll be supported uh, in your, your effort to further your practice in that way. So these are, this is a beautiful practice that we're developing, this clarification and increase of awareness in our mind. What it adds up to is being present for our life, for knowing this life, this person, this mind and body. What is it? You know, we weren't born with instructions. <laughs> and it's, um, it's an opportunity. We have an opportunity through practices like this to get to know that a little bit better. So I will pause there. Um, I'll give it back to Shinkwan. We have a bit to say about wisdom, and I think we'll also have time for questions. Um, I'm just going to add on about the practice group. Um, So um, we also have a continuation of this uh, group. For those of you who are interested, um, there's been a lot of feedback after we do an intro class that, um, well, now what? So we're offering, you know, some ways to take it into your daily life and um, some other ways to develop a concentration practice. But we've also found that um, continuing on with the four-week class after this that offers the uh, same thing, 20 minutes of meditation guided, a little bit of teaching, a review of some of the um, mindfulness of breath, body, uh, thoughts and emotions, and also to do small group discussion with um, very specific questions aimed at um, Uh, allowing you to see for yourself as you're relating to others. So, you know, this group is rather a large group, so it's difficult to break out into groups and things. But usually the four-week continuation is a much smaller group for people, and it gives them the chance to talk about their practice a little bit. Because I imagine some of you have wanted to talk about your practice (laughs) and what's going on and just to, you know, get some feedback as to if I'm doing this and what's going on. And not everybody wants to listen to you. (laughs) if they're not doing it as well. So so there's some opportunities for that. So that's going to start November 13th uh, for four weeks. So uh, here, just to drop a seed in, every fall now we've just started offering a mentoring program when, you're, when you feel your practice, that you've had uh, um, enough time with this practice and you like to meet with people, every fall we offer an uh, eight-fold path study program where you have the opportunity to meet one-on-one with a mentor to discuss your practice. So just to know that that's there every fall, it gives you a chance to see whether or not you might be interested in furthering your practice and studies of this. Uh, so that's all I had to add. And deadly secret there. Um, yeah, um, if you're on the website, uh, IMC, uh, insightmeditationcenter.org, there's, um, um, I think it's once a year we've been putting together 
um, an online audio dharma course that anybody can sign up and apply for. Uh, it's cr- going on currently, and it's people all over the world. Um, there's, I can't remember how many are enrolled in it right now, but there were like 75 people on the waiting list. So it's quite a quite an impressive course, and it's essentially this course, the introductory course, that people um, listen to the talk, and then they meet with an individual mentor or teacher and discuss the practice. So it's it's just something that's accessible. So if you know some folks that are out in the boondocks, you know, that don't have the luxury of IMC in their neighborhood, uh, let them know. It's kind of a cool thing. Starts again in January. There you go. Coming up. Yeah, so there's a number of ways where you can go um, from here after taking these um, five weeks. And once you start practicing, if you haven't already, you'll notice that um, perhaps your relationship to things are shifting a little bit. This um, often happens where you can see like, oh, I used to think that this was bad for me, like washing the dishes. But once I actually get to experience them and decide I'm going to be mindful, they're not so bad. It's not, you know, I, I actually enjoy the warm water on my hands. I actually like that sensation. I like having the clean sink. So this idea of bad, it was just an idea. The dishes, dirty dishes, are not inherently bad, right? So you can start to see this. And there's one way that, um, uh, way, way maybe to clearly illustrate this is to, um, with this flower. So I'm holding up a flower, right? We can say, oh, it's nice. It's a nice flower. It has, um, it's kind of a purplish color, and I don't know what size it is. It's maybe um, two and a half inches. Say, okay, this is a flower. Nothing magical about it. But then, if I hold up this second flower, now we can say something about this first flower that we couldn't say before. Now, this flower that was just two and a half inches is now a small flower, right? Compared to this one. It's kind of like I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. But there's now, it's only when you compare things that then you start to say, oh, this, this flower is small and this one is large. But what happens if we take another flower? Right? So this one in the center here that used to be the small one is now the large one. This is very simple, right? There's nothing complicated about this. But what it illustrates is how things, objects, do not inherently have these labels, these values that we assign to them. And often, um, when we meditate, we start to see that, oh, I don't have to assign this label, that this particular experience is bad, or that this particular experience is good. They just are. If we were, um, the Buddhists like to say this, there's a suchness to things. There's just a way that things are. And it's when you start to notice just the way things are, you start to see their kind of um, simplicity and their beauty and 
without all the extra stuff that we add to things. Because I don't know about you, but often my comparing mind does not make me happy, right? It does not make me a better person, really, when I'm comparing myself to others, whether I think I'm better or I'm worse, either. It doesn't make me happy. It doesn't bring more ease into the world. So this is just a very simple illustration of how we don't have to assign these um, labels. We don't have to assign these concepts to um, objects that we're seeing. Instead, we can pay the attention to just as they are. So maybe with that, should I open it up for questions or do, do either of you have something to add at this point? So does somebody have some questions or comments they'd like to? So can we? Diana, when you introduced yourself, you said you've gotten a lot out of this practice. Could you elaborate on that? Like, what have you gotten out of it? I think one of the biggest things is just what I ended with there, with this comparing mind. And I always, for both uh, myself and for other things, this idea that things have to be otherwise. Like, oh, I had this sensation that I needed to be better in some way or things needed to be different in some way. And underlying that is always a certain amount of dissatisfaction, a certain amount of unease. There's no contentment when you're always comparing yourself or wanting things to be different. And then with my meditation practice, I started to see that, oh, I don't actually have to do that. I can just be present for this warm, soapy water. And there's actually, it sounds a little bit silly because it's so simple. There's actually contentment there. And I think that's what many of us are looking for. It certainly was what I was looking for, is some more contentment. And it doesn't require this fantastic belief system, fantastic um, achievements, fantastic... uh, I don't know, anything fantastic, right? It's very simple, very simple. Is that, a good, is that, your, is that an okay? Did I answer your question? Let me ask yes, you Yes, thank you. I actually enjoy washing the dishes. I can, <laughs> <laughs> I can let my mind be mindful about whatever it needs to think about while I'm doing that. It's like a mindless task. Thank you. Yeah, so you just illustrated the concept of dishes, right? I had this concept, oh, doing the dishes is bad, but dishes aren't inherently bad because you don't hold that as well. Thank you. Or did you... Oh, Oh. I think you in the back. Thank you, Richard. Hi. So uh, when you were pointing out uh, the flowers... And you said, uh, this is small and that's large. Uh, So I thought, uh, when we think like that, we uh, we kind of uh, uh, see those two flowers to be separate, you know? And then I thought, uh, what if we see uh, the relationship uh, between the flowers, right? Because the flowers, uh, uh, the smaller one, uh, might be the phase one of uh, the bigger flower. So uh, the larger flower 
would not exist without the smaller flower. So when we start to see things as like they're all like uh, related, then that might <clears throat> uh, solve uh, some of uh, the issues uh, uh, because uh, like oftentimes, you know, we compare, oh, uh, that person has more money or that person has a better car or my life could be better or, you know, uh, like very, uh, I mean, uh, judgmental. Uh, but if we can see uh, the whole world to be kind of r like uh, related to one another, and then we get like a different view. So would I'm, do either of my colleagues up here want to address this, or I'm happy to, or would you? I don't want to be the only one that's speaking, or... Go ahead. I have the <laughs> microphone, so I'm saying. So um, this is true, absolutely true, right? We can see the relationships. But one of the points I was trying to say is that when we are present for what actually is what we're actually experiencing like in our meditation practice we talk about um, sensations in our bodies or thoughts in our minds that's different than the idea we have about them like oh this this will eventually become that it's true perhaps one flower will turn into another but there's something um that's very beneficial about just being present with what is Here's this flower, and here's this flower. And it doesn't mean that we can't also have recognized the relationship to them, but I do want to emphasize there's value in just recognizing what is, what are we experiencing what are in our bodies, in our thoughts, how is our breath at that moment without having to lay on top of it different interpretations. So um, I wanted to, can you hear? I wanted to add to that because it, it just brings to mind. Um, so we are living in a world where we have a lot of concepts, ideas, beliefs, judgments, opinions. And, and we're not saying that they're all bad. Actually, some of them are quite useful and helpful to us and innocent enough. But this practice is giving us an opportunity to see the ones that aren't so helpful that are really getting us caught or that we're struggling, that's causing more struggling and more suffering. And that becomes clearer and clearer as we practice. So, uh, and we're not here to tell you which ones you need or which ones are helpful, but for you as you practice to decide for yourself, because it'll be more clear when you're suffering. It'll be more clear when you're stuck. It'll be more clear, you know, uh, in, the, in the throes of something, you'll notice more that you're in it. And we're also paying attention to what happens when we, we disengage. What happens when we uh, can untangle that or um, get rid of that Velcro a little bit. Um, and how much freedom is possible for us. So this is really quite a profound practice in a lot of ways, even though it sounds very simple in a lot of ways, what uh, we're allowing to unfold and... Uh, um, happen uh, can be um, um, I don't know make a huge difference in how we live our lives how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others so um, I guess I just wanted to add that I have a small addition also 
um, which is that there's an area where we conceptualize that brings a tremendous amount of suffering. And that is about ourselves. So we have ideas about, I am a good person, I am a bad person, I'm a bad meditator, something like that. So, excuse me. It's an area that's well worth examining. Um, You don't need to go into it in great depth, but just be aware that that is uh, one of the areas where we conceptualize most heavily and also the one where we should question it perhaps most deeply um, is what we believe about ourselves. Thanks. Uh, part of the homework last week was to um, take a two-hour period and just kind of watch your thoughts. So um, I started, I was exhausted after like about 10 minutes because I had actually been able to separate it for the first time, this um, this talk going on inside the head, and then there was me kind of watching it. So it was it was exhausting in that there were so many of them. But the really, the really striking thing for me, I mean, that was striking in and of itself, but the, the other thing that was striking is I don't know who the voice was. I mean, I feel it was not me. At least I didn't think it was me. And then I thought, well, you know, is it my mom? You know, is that my mom's voice? But I couldn't connect to it. But it, it was it was so jolting. I just kind of let it be. I didn't want to go any go into it anymore at that point. But um, it was very eye opening. And I'd want to say um, fear came up about it. So I was like, who's in there? If it's not me, who's in there? Or is it several people in there? Or is it a combination of many, many experiences and people that I... I mean, it, it was... It just opened a whole another door for me. So I would... Can you comment on... <laughs> have you... I mean, is that something that happens? First of all, um, that's really good mindfulness. Um, what you've noticed... Uh, about having many different voices in your in your mind, if I if I can use that word, I think you use that word. Sometimes in our culture, um, I'm sorry that my voice is going a little bit. Um, you know, the idea of voices in our head can sound a little bit crazy or something, and it's actually very normal. We all have these kinds of voices in our head. So first of all, I just want to say, I just want to normalize your experience a little bit is that this is not a surprising phenomenon and it happens, you know, many people will notice something like a committee, sometimes people say, or different people that they're not sure who they are. So this all sounds fairly normal to me. Um, And the fact that you're able to see it is a tremendous step. And just being, continuing to be mindful of it is, you know, my my first order, you know, kind of top-level uh, approach for dealing with that unless you want to share more or my colleagues want to add. Uh, 
I guess the part that I wanted to address is um, for some people it's important to uh, uh, figure stuff out, figure out who they are or what it means or that kind of, um, that's where the mind tends to go. And there's a part of this practice that's saying it's okay to let that go um, and maybe it is important for some, but what happens if it's not so important I figure that stuff out and I just stay present? For what you described, on some level, um, different things, but weariness, that's actually quite common. If you're paying attention for an extended period of time and this is a constant barrage of... It, you will get weary. So that's also kind of this um, you know, um, part of practice. Um, it's also important to see because a lot of times that's operating and we don't know it's operating and we're tired and we don't know why we're tired. And it gives us a little bit of glimpse and it gives us a little bit of choice to believe those voices, right? Or, and what we do with it when, we, when, we, when we're there for that, right? So fear comes up for you, then we learn to be with fear, you know, and see fear for, for what it is. Um, and I guess... For me, I'm one of those people that want to find meaning in everything. And I have to say, <laughs> um, it wasn't super helpful for me. It would just actually take me out of the moment into different types of you know, analysis and meaning-making versus just staying present for and letting things have run its course. Um, there's a way of feeding into things in a way. What, so I would say, see what happens. if you're, You can tell if you're feeding something and if you're just being present for it. I don't know if that's helpful, but something I tried. I just wanted to make another comment to it. Um, the idea that um, the mind handling emotions um, is a very small container, at, whereas I think Gila said the body can be much larger of a container. So uh, during one of my meditations, a horrendous amount of fear started bubbling up, which, um, you know, I'm a really strong woman, and I don't let that come up very often. So I just, I just, I just let it come, and it, it got very scary at first, when the mind part of it. But then when I kind of asked it to come into the body, it was amazing in that the body was... I felt such a largeness in the body that it just went into it and just dissipated. It was unbelievable to me because I, it feels like I've handled everything in my mind my whole life, which is exhausting. It's exhausting to live in the mind. And for that brief moment where the body took that, it was, it was amazing. It was just amazing to me. We're coming to the end of the class. <laughs> um, I just want to thank you guys for your presence here, for sticking with the course. It's not easy, um, and so I have a lot of respect for anyone who uh, is willing to embark on this and uh, take a closer look. So I hope that there was really some um, deep, rich 
eye-opening experiences, and um, the three of us are going to teach the uh, continuation of this. It's called the Beginner's Practice Group, starting November 13th, so hopefully we'll see some of you there. Um, and if you have any other questions, I know we didn't get to everybody. Um, we'll be up here for a few minutes. You can come up and talk to us. And also, you, um, Richard is back there. <laughs> if you have any questions for him, he's happy to answer, too. So um, did you guys have anything to end with? No? Great. Thank you so much.